This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Blood Red podcast once more from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark and alongside me, well, they're not alongside me because as we all know, we're all working remotely these days. Three fine colleagues, Dan Kay and Ian Doyle, making their debuts via the uh, satellite connection we got over the internet. Doyley, how are you, mate? I'm okay, yourself? Yeah, not bad, thanks. And Dan, yourself? Yeah, not bad, mate. Gradually getting used to this new way of working and... uh... More than happy to crack on with the Reds. And our experienced veteran of these hookups now is Paul Gorst. Gorsty, how are you, mate? Yeah, same as I was on Friday, on Thursday, and, and a few, <laughs> few, few weeks before that. Um, I'm not even sure what day it is, to be honest. Just ready to Every day is like Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just went for you to start climbing the wall, Gorsty. That's the uh, that's the issue. You don't seem to move. You sort of sat there in the corner of your kitchen, mate, just uh, just waiting for these calls. Exactly. Yeah. Coming up, we'll be speaking about the comments that England captain and Tottenham Hotspur forward Harry Kane has made about enough being enough due to the uh, Premier League season being suspended and when he thinks the cutoff should be. New information out that the Premier League considering a mini World Cup style. End to the Premier League season, we'll get into that as well as a former attacking midfielder who wore the number 10 at Liverpool. Of course, we are talking about Felipe Coutinho. Well, that's all to come here on Blood Red. We'll get straight into the Harry Kane stuff, guys. And uh, well, Gorsty, he was speaking to former Red Jamie Redknapp over Instagram on Sunday, talking about a number of different things. His own future was even brought up. We can get into that and have a bit of fun with that shortly. But in terms of the Premier League season, he says if it's not done sort of by the end of June, then maybe we should just think about scrapping it all. Yes, um, I mean, I'm not too surprised that um, someone from Tottenham said that. Tottenham, let's face it, it's been a really poor year for them, hasn't it? Um, Pochettino kind of lost his way and Mourinho hasn't had that galvanising effect that he has. Um, at certain other junctures in his, in his career, and Tottenham are kind of languishing and just drifting towards the end of the season. And um, throughout the Champions League, and um, not really looking like doing much else. So I'm not surprised to hear that the, the main man from the Spurs camp is talking in those terms. Obviously, everyone knows the football can't return until it's absolutely 100% safe to do so, and people are a lot more qualified than football journalists and writers and players and everyone connected with the sport will. Will decide when that is that is the case. So um, until that is the case, then it's, everything is just speculation, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, so may, maybe he was. Um, I, to be honest, I think with him being the England captain and him having another shot at going to the European Championships, um, I think he might be thinking along the lines of start next season afresh from the the normal point in August and give himself the best possible chance of arriving at that tournament in peak condition on, on form. Um, that was kind of my reading of his comments, to be honest. Um, I don't agree with him. And I think whenever it's safe to do so, the Premier League should just work around it, complete the season, get it done, get it completed in 100%. Everyone's played 38 games. Um, but not everyone sees it that way. And, and I think everyone's viewpoint is very much rooted in, in what benefits their, their team or, or you know their club the, the best way. But... Um, I don't necessarily agree with Harry Kane's viewpoint. Yeah, and I suppose, Doyle, it's one of those where everyone who's speaking on this issue, whether it be, obviously, us from a Liverpool perspective, Karen Brady, West Ham United, or even Harry Kane, everyone's got their own agendas when they are opening their mouth, talking about, 
obviously how they think things should play out. I mean, that's true. I mean, we've got to be fair to Harry Kane. He got asked the question. He didn't just come out and say it, did he? So he's not just going to be him that gets asked. I would imagine every footballer who gets interviewed between now and the football, actually a decision being made, whether it starts or not, will get asked the same thing. And, you know, it's fair enough. They are going to answer, you know, if you're a Liverpool player, you're bound to say, yeah, I'd like it to continue. If you're a Sheffield United player. I mean, I agree with Gorsty. I think there's a touch of the Euro 2021s in what uh, Kane's saying. He obviously, he's lucky, not lucky, but he knew he probably would have missed out, certainly been at his best in the European Championships if they'd have gone ahead this summer. And now he's got himself a, another opportunity. He probably thinks, you know, I don't want that threatened, as Gorsty said. So, I mean, the thing is, you're right, though, it's Tottenham, isn't it? I mean, we, we spoke about this weeks ago, I think, on one of the last pods we were in the office, where I said there'd be some teams who'd be quite keen to get the season called off. And, oh, what a surprise. One of them, you know, one of them ends up being Tottenham. You know, we mentioned West Ham. I'm led to believe Watford are another one as well who are quite keen. And ultimately, and we'll talk about this later on, about how things can change, but it'll come down to money. And it'll come down to what is going to be the best, not for the clubs, but for the league. Because if the Premier League makes the wrong choice, there will be one or two who will nobody want to be the first ones who say it gets cancelled. Nobody want to be the first team who says, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to legally challenge this because it's almost in bad taste when we know everything else that's going on. But ultimately, that's what it will come down to. And then once one does it, somebody else will do it. And then who knows, you know, the Premier League might just fall apart. So, I mean, that's a long way down the line. But ultimately, when they come to a decision, it'll be on, on what is not going to cost them the most. Yeah, interesting you say there in terms of things could unravel for the Premier League because it's one of those things I've been thinking actually about the last couple of days where if this really goes against sides like Liverpool, even if you've got clubs who were perhaps wanting to see out a battle for Champions League and European places all unfold, we've spoken for years and years about European Super Leagues and given this is a European-wide issue... You could see the big boys from each of those divisions say, you know what, we don't need you anymore. And they move on and do their own thing. I was just wondering your thoughts as well, Dan, on on Harry Kane's comments before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I I would echo what what Gorsley and and, and Dorley have both said there. I don't think there'll be many, if any, Liverpool fans that would buy into this idea of um, let's just call it all off and write it off as a bad job when Liverpool are what? A handful of points away from clinching the league after 30 years. It, it, you know, it, it's very clear that most people have a viewpoint, an agenda, and their kind of view in it is tailored by where they're coming from. I, I just don't understand why people are so there's such rig, rigidity in people's thinking at the moment. That you know, that, why why do people have to put deadlines on it? The reality is, and I'm sure we mentioned this in the pod a few weeks ago before we all went home, that we already know the footballing calendar is going to be changed drastically to accommodate the Qatar World Cup in 2022. And in many ways, the fact that this we've already known about this for years now actually gives the authorities a bit of a chance to kind of think outside the box and look at the wider issues and maybe make some wider changes that people within the game have been talking to um, for some time. You know, some people have been saying you shouldn't even be discussing it at the moment. And, you know, obviously none of us can get away from the fact that the public health crisis is by far and away the most important thing in people's minds and, and people's health and lives are vastly more important than a game of football. However, people's lives, people's livelihoods, people, and, and also just in the general sense, people's sets, sense of mental well-being, I think. We need to have some football. It, 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 there's no harm in my view in considering it for now, but no one has to make any definitive decisions right now. I, you know, I, I take, I take Doyle's point that 
Kane was asked about this, so fair enough, he's, he's entitled to give his opinion, and everyone and everyone's got an opinion. But I think at the moment, there's no harm in just batting around different ideas, different solutions. We're probably weeks, months away from being able to make any kind of significant kind of calls on it. Uh, and, and obviously, we, as you mentioned at the start, guys, something we're going to come on to in a minute, this, this idea about some kind of World Cup type scenario in the summer where he get all the games completed in a short space of time. I wonder, and obviously this has been talked of for a couple of weeks now, I wonder if part of Kane's viewpoint is actually informed a little bit by that. that I think there had already been whispers that a lot of the players don't like the idea of that. And possibly this is one of his ways of saying, well, he, he's coming out against that and calling it off altogether would be preferable than having them all quarantined and playing all these games in front of no one on academy pitches, which is for me, is is not a particularly preferable scenario either. No, certainly not. We'll we'll get into that then very shortly indeed. But just sticking with Harry Kane, just a quick whip round for, from you guys, your perspective on another thing he was asked about, that he's obviously a player who is allegedly sort of always on about the goals and chasing down Alan Shearer's all-time Premier League, all-time top-scoring record. And he was asked whether a personal accolades mean more to him than team honours which he, he turned around and said no he plays for the team and that's what it's all about for him so therefore if he can't win tournaments with Tottenham Hotspur would he ever consider leaving which I have to say as the England captain and one of the real senior players at Tottenham Hotspur I found it quite refreshing and open how he came out and basically said no if, if I need to move on I will leads to the, the the question and very much tongue-in-cheek if Harry Kane were on the market doily would do you think Liverpool should explore something like that? Or what did you make of the comments themselves anyway? Um, well, his comments are just... I know you say it's refreshing, but if you're a Tottenham fan, you won't be too happy at that, given the way the season's gone for them. And the other thing, you mentioned about chasing down Alan Shearer's records and this, that and the other in the Premier League. If the if the season's voided, do all his goals not count? Yeah, no, they'll be taken. Yeah. Do all everybody else's Expunged. goals not count? Yeah. yeah. It's a, it, it, you can't have it one way or, you know, and then none of it, you know, the other. So in terms of Liverpool going in for him, he's not really a, a Liverpool type of player in the sense of the way that he'd fit in this system. I think he's obviously a very good player, let's be honest. I mean, in the past, I've been quite critical of him, but it's clear that he he knows where the goal is. He scores all, a variety of goals. and he's But he talks about being a team player, but he's definitely one of those where if he's not doing things at the top end, he can be... Mm -hmm. I'm wondering by that. I mean, he also puts on assists as well, so he's not just about goal scoring. But if he's not doing any of those two things, then it's what he's actually contributing. When you've got somebody like Firmino, who you know Liverpool have tried a couple of times, possibly to bring in somebody who can deputise for him, they've not really managed. They might think that you know Minamino could be one, or you know we've mentioned Timo Werner many, many times. That's the kind of player they'd be looking for, not somebody like Harry Kane. Dan, your thoughts on that one? Well, he's obviously he's he's a top player. He's proved his consistency and his ability to score lots of different types of goals, you know, over a number of seasons. So he's clearly no flash in the pan, and you know he's he is England's talismanic centre forward. Um, you know, we've we've discussed Liverpool's front three as good a, as good an attacking triumvirate as there is in world football. That has been the case for the last couple of years, and and I think we all hope that there's you know there's there's maybe another season or two in them. The reality is they are both getting to all three of them are getting towards the late twenties and sooner rather than later. And the fact that Jurgen Klopp has signed a long term contract just before Christmas that you know indicates that he is willing to undertake the task of, of building, you know, possibly hopefully a second great side. It, 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 you know, 
there will be new forwards that come in, whether it's Werner, whether it's Havertz, whether it's whoever, whether it's someone that, that comes from the academy. But as, as Doyle said, Harry Kane's style of play, the way he operates within a side, it would feel a fairly fundamental change in Liverpool's approach were they to go for someone like him. Um, and I would be very surprised to see that happen Um myself personally yeah yeah I was playing devil's advocate of course and given that I'm the one who, who sort of put this out there Gorsty you, you can really be the man to, to squash it because at, at 26 years of age he doesn't really we can talk all we want about the playing style but for, for a deal like this to be completed a transfer fee would be huge wage uh, offer therefore would be huge as well I know we talk about Mbappe and Jurgen Klopp himself has said that Quite simply, the finances probably wouldn't stretch that far. This isn't a deal that would even get off talking about on on podcasts to actually happening, would it? No, um, it, it'd be a non-starter. I think it costs too much. He doesn't really suit the Liverpool system, as we've discussed. As much as a, an out-and-out goal scorer that he is, he's got other areas to his game as well. I think he's a great passer. The ball thing that goes a little bit underrated. I think he's a, a really good crosser as well, but... He's not someone who's going to fit neatly alongside um, Mane and Salah alongside them. So, uh, being non-starter for me. But it is interesting that Spurs are languishing. Where are they now? Eighth. Um, not been a great season. That Champions League final defeat was kind of like the almost the beginning of the end for this team, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, I still find it strange how he isn't as strongly linked to other teams as he might be, really. Because I know I know were in the same situation you can guarantee their players would be linked left, right and centre and it'd become a little bit tiresome. Um, Kane seems to avoid that for whatever reason. Maybe it's because he, he's the England captain, I don't know, but um, I definitely won't, won't be seeing him um, come to Anfield anyway. Well, let's then get into one of the, the major talking points then. Dan, you alluded to it before in terms of the report <clears> that the Independent have, have put out there in terms of the Premier League then looking at a way to finish the season where they can, hopefully in the summer months, and almost putting on a World Cup-like format for the last, I think it's 92 games of the season that need to be completed. They'll all be put on uh, television, supposedly, with games all off the back of one another. Uh, Doily, I was just wondering what your thoughts on all of this were, if actually it's even right to be talking about it, given the the situation we find ourselves in right now. Well, in terms of talking about it, we, you know, people want a distraction, so you are allowed to talk about it and knock these things around. And if people are arguing about stuff like this, then it's better than worrying about a lot of other stuff. I mean, let's face it, we're all, we're all sat in our homes. We're doing our bit. I'm sure we're all doing our bit. You know, by not venturing out too often, there'll be many, many thousands, millions of other people who do exactly the same. But then there comes a point where you know, it's okay to talk about other stuff. But in terms of this in particular, it's a strange one because there's obviously a will from certain people. You know, not all clubs want it off. Uh, certainly the league would want it to continue. And they're going to have to come up with some different idea. They are going to have to think outside the box, as you mentioned. And while I know that Dan's been shaking his head at the idea of this World Cup uh, thing where they play most of the games in a couple of venues in the Midlands or London. And to be fair, London would probably be one of the places I wouldn't want to play, if I'm being perfectly honest. If we're talking from a health point of view at the moment, it'd make more sense to move some of the games up in the northwest and perhaps some in, in Birmingham around there. Is that there'd be no fans there. And that I suppose is the big issue because you're starting the season by playing 29, 28, 29 games with fans there and then you're finishing it with nobody there. But ultimately it comes down to the clubs and the players, you know, the fans do turn up to the games, but this this is the players' jobs. And and one thing that hasn't really been mentioned is, say you're somebody like 
you know, Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane. And as Gorsi said, I'm sure that people, they're already getting linked out in the Real Madrid with Mane. If they put all this effort in for 29 games and then it gets taken away, then it comes to the, you know, the end of the season and then the transfer window opens, they might think, well, you know what, I'm not having that. I'm, I'm, you know, I've done my bit for Liverpool. I, I fancy a different challenge now without actually winning it. And that could be Liverpool's best chance in a while gone. I mean, that's a very negative way of looking at it. But not like you, Doily. Yeah, in terms, <laughs> in terms of the actual uh, tournament that's been mentioned, I mean, if they want it done by August, they're going to have to consider it. And there will be people who won't like it. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of variables there. I mean, do the media go? Or do we just watch it like everybody else's thing? I mean, because that's how early it is in the planning. And people's health is going to get put first. If it's not able to be done then, then they're going to have to think of something different. The only good thing is that we have to bear in mind that it is only nine games. It's not many. They could get done inside four weeks, even if they played them normally in September, October. And as Dan said before, it could be an opportunity to to move the seasons around for a couple of years because they're going to have to anyway. So I'm not totally against it. And uh, I, th- I think it, the weird thing is what they'll have to have like a, a mini pre-season before it as well, won't they? Anyway, mm-hmm. because the the teams won't be able to go. You know, all right, the the you know the restrictions are lifted. Let's play. It won't be like that. It'll be a couple of weeks of them getting back together, training this, that and the other. And if, as the story says in The Independent, which was an idea that I think it was first, you know, bandied around a couple of weeks ago, actually, mm. um, is that it's government-backed, which is interesting because yeah. that fits in with what other people have been saying about, you know, if people are staying at home, by then, if it's if everybody's still locked down in like two, three, four months, you know, the, there is, as Dan said, you know, the, the, the mental health, the well-being of certain people, they will need something to, to keep them going. And if, if, if watching the team play a home game hundreds you know hundreds but tens of miles away in front of no crowd but it's the players and the you know the win is the win maybe that's the way they have to do it it's one of those isn't it we're all desperate for for football to return but obviously it is the health implications that all go with it but Gorsty in in terms of that if there are games on back to back regardless of whether they're Liverpool or, or your team whatever I suppose if we're saying it's government-backed, you've perhaps got the opportunity of football fans who have been starved of action for weeks and months, probably because this isn't likely to happen, you wouldn't imagine, until at least June-July time, that this might actually almost be used as a measure of making sure people do stay indoors. I know that sounds very sort of weird to say, but if you've got sports fans who do want to watch games, then obviously they're going to stay in to do that. Yeah, and to be honest, you can imagine the subscriptions that go through the roof because people who'd normally go to the pub or the game wouldn't, you know, they'd be signing up for them. Um, let's face it, the, the, the TV money has, has got the, the biggest sway in all of this because it's a £9.2 billion television deal. Um, each club is, is getting a significant chunk of money for, for those games and they've only fulfilled three quarters of their, of their quota. So, um, you know, say, for example... Uh, Sheffield United saved, saved they've got three televised games between now and the end of the season I think it works out at around about £10 million a game they, they're going to have to find £30 million to pay back these TV companies because you know they, they've essentially not fulfilled a contract and okay that, that that might sound harsh or whatever but that would be the, the, the black and white of it in the contract and whatever so they're going to have to find a way to get these games um, fulfilled and the TV Companies will will probably benefit in 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 a weird way. Um, Ninety two games we've seen now in the end of the season. I think a World Cup has, has got about 
30 games less than that. And if you think how much the World Cup is on across the summer, across one month, football, that means we're going to be inundated with football if these plans do come to, to fruition. For some, that's you know ideal. Others, I think it might be a little bit of a burnout. But one way or another, I think there is a resolution to get the season done and dusted. And I think, um, I think we look at the non-leagues steps three to six across the week uh, across last week. Already, we've heard South Shields FC threatening legal action. Um, Lower Breck, who who were close to being promoted themselves, There's, they've said they'll essentially stand with South Shields with whatever decision they take. And these are just you know non-league sides who are already threatening legal action. So. If you do cancel and void this season, then it's going to be a hell of a legal minefield, and that is ultimately not what the Premier League wants. So it will get done by hook or by crook, I think. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I'll quickly plug the, the podcast we did over the weekend on non-league football. If that is your thing, we did hear from Lower Breck and they, they spoke, obviously, their, their club secretary, Jim Davis, joined us to talk about the, the implications for them. You do have a bit of a feeling, down that that maybe was one precedent being set of football being null and void in one instance, but you've then also got this that, I, I don't know about you, I feel as though this is something that's initially being put out there to test the waters, maybe even for seeing what public reaction to it all is. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a, a case of that, that they are kind of throwing it out there and trying to kind of glean feedback from people and see what the general feeling and, and, and perception of it is. I mean, I have to say, I, I can't stand the idea. Um, you know, I, if we have to wait a year to play these last nine matches, wait a year. You know, as, as I said before, I do think having things to look forward to, football plays such a huge part in our cultural and emotional and, and social lives. Um, but... Yeah, you know, but but there's wider issues at play here. I mean, you know, why, why should why should footballers be the guinea pigs? And not just the footballers, of course, the medical staff. You know, at the bare minimum, Doyle mentioned before, would you, would you know, would the press go well? You know, the bare minimum, you're going to have to have broadcasters, um, and you know, TV and radio people. Is this not it. not know where you might see then the in-house club channels that we, we often do see? would mm. want to take ownership and precedent of it. Because if you've got, I don't know, Liverpool club employees who are shacked up in a hotel with the players and they've got the infrastructure already in these grounds. I mean, mm. if, if they're on academy pitches, you're going to have a massive problem with trying to broadcast games anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah but, but it, 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 it's the knock-on effect of, of that as well. You know, it, it's the medical staff, it's the support staff. What happens when someone breaks a leg or does a knee ligament injury? And they, and they have to go to hospital. Which hospital do they go to? Is that is, would that then be putting unnecessary stress and stress and pressure on the uh, on 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 the NHS, which, as we know, has to be everybody's uh, primary um, focus at the moment. The other thing that you know, obviously, none of us knows exactly how the coming weeks and months are going to months and years possibly going to play out. But it's already been kind of quite quite widely speculated that gradually some of the restrictions may well be loosened a little bit, but then they may have to be reimposed because there's then a second or third wave of, of cases. So, so, so what happens then if you say, all right, let's scrub the season and start again, start the new season, but then it stops again. So, 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 so what do you do then? Another issue I think as well is, you know, there's an argument to be had about the, the integrity of the competition. You know, you've had 30, 31 games played at home and away, at home and away grounds with home supporters and away supporters and part of football, as we know, is going into you know the lines. Then sometimes dealing with the pressure, dealing with the crowd, getting the result that you need to get. If the, the if these nine matches are played in completely 
different circumstances in front of nobody there. Well, yeah, well, it wouldn't even be one man and his dog, would it? There's been talk of playing some of them on, on academy pitches. You can make a case to say these are actually different types of matches and do the results in those last nine bear any relation to the ones in the first 31? So, listen, we're all dying to go the match again and be with our mates. And, you know, they, these should have been the happiest weeks of our lives in many ways with Liverpool closing in on the title. But, the, you know, but we've all got to kind of get a, a sense of perspective. Football, you know, football is very important too. It's not more important than life and death, but very important. And if we have to be patient and wait that little while longer, <clears throat> for me personally, I would rather wait, even if it's a year or longer, to get the matches played properly in front of spe- in front of in front of the likes of us fans and journalists and everyone who loves the game who've invested not just financially but emotionally in this season. And I think we all deserve to see it play out properly whenever that may be. Yeah, an impassioned play there from Dan uh, Doyley and Gorsty. Just on a couple of notes there, certainly the health implications. We are no health experts, so don't take your advice from us guys here at Blood Red. But in terms of all of that, one thing that hasn't been sort of rolled out massively across the United Kingdom is testing. You've got people who think that they're isolating at home who may well have had symptoms, may well have had this virus and are waiting for this for this even newer test to, to check if they've built up the antibodies against it, if they have therefore had the, uh, the virus. But if you've got Premier League teams almost in quarantine, you're going to have to test these players. You're going to have to test them numerous times. That's taking tests away from people who yeah. in ordinary civilian life should be tested themselves doily i mean it's three months down the line at least possibly four so who knows what's going to be happening by then to be honest i mean there's no nobody's suggesting that but then it comes back to what we've said before if, if it's government backed then there's obviously going to be some kind of you know, maybe the clubs, if they do want the test and they're paying an extra premium and then that can get lots more people to get tests elsewhere, you know, the general public or the people who actually need it on the, on the front line, people like that. Although you'd like to hope by then that that would all be in place anyway. So I'm not sure you can put put, put that at, you know, at football's you know, doorstep, as it were. So it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I know I understand what Dan's saying, but I think the prospect of waiting a year for the games to be played, I don't think that's going to happen. Unfortunately, I think at the most it could be four, possibly five months, because uh, then the integrity of the competition, you know, it would have been, you know, you play the first mm. 29 games, then you got to wait another five months. And you know, going back to Tottenham and Harry Kane, in the sense that Harry Kane will now be fit, you know, and, and Song will be fit. You know, I'm not, you know, I know people might laugh at that, but Tottenham's chances of getting into the top four could be improved by the fact that the football what we played for a number of months. And it's the same for a lot of other clubs and some people might get injured. I mean, the other question as well is that what if some of the players go down with it? Yeah, yeah go down with it, go down with that. But then you could argue they'd say, well, everybody's in exactly the same boat. Everybody's the same. All the players of all the teams are, are you know, there's as much chance of them getting as anybody else. So why should they be treated any differently? Gorsley, just you've listened into, to all of that. Just wondering your thoughts in terms of how long is too long then to wait for this? Because we want to see it done. We want to see it done at Anfield, hopefully in front of a full crowd. But there must come a point. I mean, it takes us right back to what we were talking about right at the beginning with Harry Kane, where actually enough is enough, or we do have to take steps to have one of these tournament-like ideas put on. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I completely understand what Dan's saying from a point of um, Liverpool do go on to win this Premier League title. The fans 
should be there. The fans who've travelled with them home and abroad for 30 years, um, and for them to be robbed of that moment when Jordan Henderson lifted the Premier League title off is, is very sad and hollow and surreal. Um, but then there's, there's the idea that ultimately, I mean, it always gets laid at the governing body's door, but the fans are an afterthought. And as, as long as they can complete their fixtures for the televised games, then that will be the primary thought for them. So it's um, it's a really difficult one to, to balance up, isn't it? And three months down the line, we don't know where we're going to be. Hopefully we'll be a lot closer towards getting out of the woods of, of this period that we're in. Um, but it's such a, such a tough one. Um, and it's anyone's guess, isn't it? Yeah, you're not wrong there. It is anyone's guess. And as Doyle was saying before, we're probably three months at least away from all of this. And given that a week seems like a month right now, we're going to have an awful lot to uh, to do before then and uh, and now. Anyway, let's move on for, from all of that chat and get on to uh, something more that has been, been bubbling away. And it's the name of Felipe Coutinho, who left Liverpool, what, in January 2018? And yeah, yet yeah. still continuously... More than two years on, his name, it almost seems on a weekly, if not daily basis, is linked somehow in a move back to Anfield. Doily, this is just getting beyond irritating, isn't it? Because it's not going to happen. Yeah, no, of course it's not. Unless something ridiculous happens. You know, I mean, Jurgen Klopp mentioned, he got asked about it last uh, last August, I think it was, where he, he, he basically said, look, we've, we've spent the money on it. Yeah, we spent the money we got for him. Sorry, I mean, obviously, he didn't mention the names, but you'd assume it's Van Dijk and it's uh, and it's Allison. So, you know, they went on and helped Liverpool win the the European Cup. You know, get ninety seven points and hopefully still, you know, win the league this year and and, and become world champions. So, you know, you have to say that's you know they've used the money well. Coutinho's money served a purpose. I just don't understand why the fans are so well, not all the fans, but why some fans are so obsessed with how he does because. You know, loads of people have left Liverpool. You know, Alonso left, and everybody wished him well. You know, Suarez left. You know, he, he kind of divided opinion. You know, Emery Chan left. There's players leave all the time, but you know, Coutinho for some reason has this hold over people. And for me, I thought he was brilliant for Liverpool. And, and the last couple of months where he played, you know, he, he nearly went to Barcelona, didn't he? He kind of he didn't exactly you know throw his toys out the pram, but he got that suspicious back injury from sitting on a plane, didn't appear until the, the transfer window shuts. And then he was playing again for a few months. But that period then, before he left, you know, there was one game at Brighton where he was just, he was, you know, Liverpool won 5-1 and he may as well have just been playing a different sport. He was that good. So nobody could argue with his commitment to the club and everybody wished him well. You know, whenever Klopp uh, speaks about him, he says, you know, we miss him. But, you know, and, and Jordan Henderson, even only last month, said that, you know, he's a great guy. We'd love to have him back. But, you know, that moment's passed now. It's been two, two and a bit years now since he's gone. He's actually played for two other clubs, hasn't he? Because he's at, at Bayern Munich at the moment. So, I mean, Liverpool, uh, I just, I can understand why they might want him back, but it's not going to happen. And I think Liverpool have moved on. And you'd have to say to a certain degree, so is Coutinho as well. So I just don't really understand why there's this continued, I've said obsession, I'll say it again, obsession with with, with what, he, what he's doing because you know whenever we you know whenever anything appears on our website everybody wants to read about it yeah because that is one of the things but whenever you you see on social media a Coutinho piece goes out and you see some of the replies of people going oh why are you still writing about this why are you still talking about this it's because every time it is written or spoken about people seem to engage with it and and actually well they must enjoy it given the amount of people that that do get involved with it Gorsty on just Coutinho, I mean, I said it's over two years since he's gone. 
he's very rarely since going, as Doyley said, his last sort of four or five months at Liverpool, he was unbelievable. But since going, he's not really shown any glimpses of, of still even being that player. No, and I, th- I think this is why there's so much interest in Coutinho because um, when Liverpool lost Raheem Sterling, he only went to Manchester City, and that was in the summer of 2015. So fans could keep, you could easily keep tabs on how he was getting on because all they had to do was watch match of the day, watch Manchester City, and they could see how he was doing. Um, the intrigue with Coutinho is it's a little bit more difficult now to keep up with with Spanish football, unless you're a real diehard, you know, football fan who who watches a lot. There's not too many who can watch Barcelona week in, week out. So there's always that intrigue of how is he actually getting on? How is he playing? How is he fitting in? And the speculation from the, the Spanish publications is, is always intense as well because they've got daily sports newspapers over there rather than just sports pages in a newspaper. So they have so much to fill like, like the, the rest of us do and, and they're always speculating themselves. We'll always keep keep that speculation in our live blogs and kind of keep up with that. And I think it, it's just a whole aura of, of intrigue that, that surrounds him because he's probably the first player since the, the explosion of the social media age where it's you, you can just type it into a search bar and, and find out how he's getting on as opposed to you know, Sterling who left five years ago where you could just watch Manchester City to see how he's doing so I think that level of intrigue is always why there is so much interest in Coutinho speculation He was obviously such a, a brilliant player, great tight control, creating chances. The real kind of guy that you hear the cliche, fans pay their money to go and see Dan. And you, I don't know if if part of it is a case of, obviously since he's gone, Liverpool don't play with that playmaker anymore. The play doesn't all go through mm. one player like it used to with Coutinho. This year they've probably not scored, put as many goals on teams like perhaps they did last year or even when Coutinho was still at the club and whether it's fans thinking what if what if he had stayed and Van Dijk and Allison had then been brought as well what an unbelievable team even more Liverpool would be well yeah I mean I could understand it a little bit more if in the what two and a bit years since he left Liverpool hadn't hit the heights that they have done but what did they call in that kind of four months or so that they had together in the first half of 2017 they called them the Fab Four didn't they? And then obviously Coutinho left. Now, if the three of them, Salah, Mane and uh, Firmino, had been kind of bumbling along and only bobbed the odd goal in here and there and, you know, <laughs> flattered to deceive, I could understand it a little bit more. But the reality is, since then, Liverpool have had arguably as successful, not just in terms of results, but also in terms of like the style of play, the, how in, how engaging and entertaining it's been to watch, as arguably any two-year period in the club's history. And obviously, it's been successful as well with winning the European Cup and on the brink of winning uh, a Premier League title. He was a, he was a very, very, very good player for Liverpool, Coutinho. I felt, you know, the, the way he it, the way his departure was handled did leave a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth. And obviously, this is a topic we've discussed once or twice in the in, in the last couple of years. And there's been times when I've been like, well, he did, you know, did he really perform in the biggest games for Liverpool? I always kind of think back to the final against Sevilla and Basel. When I remember turning to me mate five minutes before half time and saying, "Is he even on the picture?" Because I, I can't remember him kicking the ball. Yeah, you know, time's a bit of a healer, I suppose. And obviously, with us all having had time in our hands in recent days and weeks, I've been watching up bits of old games and having seen, I think, possibly last night or the night before, one of his kind of show reels of goals. He did score, score some phenomenal goals for Liverpool. The the, the chip in the Europa League tie at Old Trafford uh, when he just completely bamboozled the Gaia. Yeah, that's that has to go down. They're probably in my, my all time top ten 
Liverpool goals. But you know, and for, for me, the other aspect as to why for me it would be an absolute non-starter is that you know, and, you know, I don't wish him any ill. I didn't boom when he came back for the Barca semi last year. But there are sometimes players where their star burns brighter at the start of their career. And I think there's there's two notable examples, particularly in terms of Fernando Torres and Michael Owen, who arguably Liverpool had their best years. And after they left, they didn't really hit those heights again. And I think you know, so far, you know, I'm not, I'm not, his, his career obviously isn't over yet. But in the two and a bit years since he's left Liverpool, Coutinho has not exactly been pulling up that many trees. So that, again... And with Doyle, and I find it a little hard to understand how how some, not all, how some Liverpool fans are so desperate to get him back in. If he'd been banging in 40 goals a season like Suarez did when he left, then I, I could understand it a bit more. But the reality is Barcelona shipped him out to Bayern Munich on loan because he wasn't delivering him to them. He wasn't delivering for them. So bear in mind the way Liverpool have evolved and progressed since then. I, it, to me, it just makes no sense. And, you know, I'll, if he comes back for another game or a Legends match or whatever in the future, I'll wish him well and give him a good clap. But I wouldn't want to see him back in a Liverpool shirt for, a, you know, for, for real business again. No, and it's, it's one of those, isn't it, Doily, with him, where he played for this move and he must have been thinking that Liverpool's loss was going to be Coutinho's gain. He has a quote attributed to him. As we said, we don't speak to him regularly because he's based out in Germany right now and before that, Spain. But... It, it seems more that actually Coutinho's loss in terms of what he may regret that he left behind at Liverpool is in fact Liverpool's gain in how the team has moved so far, so much further forward. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to use this to slaughter him because I don't think he deserves that. I think he's a great player and certainly I, I can't even, you know, I can't even remember when he came back for the Barcelona game. Was he booed? I can't remember whether he was. I know Suarez was. I don't remember Coutinho being booed. I don't think so. I don't remember yeah. it. So, well, we know why Suarez was, because of his antics in the first leg, but then he was just being Suarez, which is why he was such a big hit for Liverpool in the first place. So I wasn't particularly fussed about that either. But going back to Coutinho, yeah, it's, I mean, let's be honest, when he first, the first season that he was there, I think he won the league and, the, you know, the half season, he won the league and, the, and they won the cup, didn't they? So at the end of his first season, he'd have been delighted with that. I mean, did he won the Spanish league last year? Was it Real Madrid or Barcelona? I can't even remember. Who was it? I think it was Barcelona, yeah. But, but, yeah. but if it's Barcelona, then he's won two then. So, mm. you know, he's not, he's not been... He was Barcelona, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. you know, he has won trophies, but he's been over there. So it's not been... Uh, he's not been as good as he has at Liverpool because I don't think he's got something like Jurgen Klopp. And I think mm. while he was good under Rodgers... Because um, you've got to bear in mind, he went to... He was into Milan, wasn't he? And he was struggling a little bit there. That's how Liverpool got him so cheap in the first place. What was it? Eight and a half? Eight, eight, yeah. eight and a half million, yeah. Um but under Klopp is where he, he, he shone bright. He was good in the 13-14 the season don't, when Liverpool were challenging for the title then. But it was, as, I say, as I say, it was under Klopp that he, he went on to another level and he seemed to respond well to him and, and his management style. And I think he's one of these players who he needs that kind of arm around the shoulder and perhaps he's not been getting that at, at various other clubs. And also, he's he, Barcelona was always a big thing for him because he, he was Espanol as well, wasn't he? So he had some roots in the in the uh, city. Is his wife from there? I think is that right? Or his family? Or was that was that Suarez? I can't remember which one's which. It was. It's, it's a, some, Suarez's some, his wife definitely yeah. was. Uh, yeah. So there was a, there was basically an emotional pull for him to want to go back to Barcelona. So can't blame him for that. Liverpool got an awful lot of money for him. And as, as we've said before, you know that's why they were Liverpool are now where they are because they used that money wisely. So. I don't wish him many ill will. I know he ends up playing very well, whether it's for Bayern Munich after this season or it's back at Barcelona or it's somewhere else. But as I agree with Dan, I'm pretty, I'd be amazed if it was at Liverpool. 
would you go, Steve? I'd be, I, I don't know, scared's probably too strong a word, but fearful if he, in the summer, or whenever transfers do take place, if he were to join another Premier League side, how would that sit with you? Not just that he's back in the Premier League, but when you then came up against Coutinho, would you think, oh, actually, say he went to, I don't know, a Chelsea or an Arsenal, would you think, actually, that would perhaps push them further now towards challenging for a title? Yeah, no, no question. I mean, it, it's it's logical, isn't it? He's a top player. So, of course, any team in the world are going to benefit from it. But, um, I, I don't know whether, you know, you mentioned Arsenal and Chelsea as an example. If they were to sign Coutinho, would it give them a, a chance of challenging Liverpool for the title long term? I, I, I don't know about that, but certainly... If in a one-off game, if Coutinho was in the other side, I'd be a little bit fearful of what he could do because we've seen it for, what was it, five years at Liverpool? He could just pull the rabbit out the hat. So, of course, yeah, I mean, he's a top-class player. I was disappointed to see him go. I thought Liverpool got an incredible amount of money for, for him um, reinvested that perfectly. Um, Liverpool have gone on to greater heights and, and, you know, have shown that they don't miss him. We all know the clubs had to kind of readjust the team and, and now the creativity comes from wide with Robertson and Alexander-Arnold and the midfield's a bit more functional. Um, so it's it, it's one of those where the pool sold the player and it, it worked out for them. Um, you, you can't really name too many players who leave Liverpool under a cloud and go on to, to thrive, particularly in the modern era. Luis Suarez is probably the only one. Sterling obviously is another one, but you know, if you think of someone like um, Fernando Torres, he moved on for £50 million and almost overnight completely um, fell flat to Chelsea. Um, so, you know, good luck to him. Liverpool have moved on long, long ago. Um, and he's, he's just an afterthought, I think. Well, that for us here on Blood Red. You say that Liverpool have moved on from Philippe Coutinho. Hopefully here on the Blood Red podcast, we may well have done as well, but I'm sure we probably haven't and his name will get dragged up in another few of these, certainly in the next few weeks as we do wait for the resumption of football to return. Thanks a lot for uh, for joining me, guys. Much appreciated. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Well, that's all here from us on the Blood Red podcast for this time from the Liverpool Echo. Keep yourselves safe. And until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.